Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by an OS, first OS we've had on the show. She was my uh, mentor, actually, when I reported to Coast Guard Cutter Oak when we first started. And it's been about a year since then, and we've both grown and learned a lot. But I'm happy to be with OS3, Steph Darabelle, today. So, welcome. Hello, everyone. everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's been a been a while since we've been a non rates together, so Yeah, I can't believe how fast like the year's gone by. I remember you said you were Tango one nine eight and I'm Tango two zero zero. So it was exactly <laughs> one year's difference. Now they've completed two oh two. Right. So you yeah, feel it's like been a while. You've been seasoned out of boot camp now. Absolutely. Tango. Over two years, so it's been a while. <laughs> So you actually, you joined the Coast Guard as a reservist, not as active duty initially. You're active duty now. Yes. But you joined as a reservist. I did. So for people listening that are thinking about joining the reserve route rather than the active duty route, was there any unique process to signing up to join the reserves? So the process is pretty much similar. It's the exact same, like the delayed entry program, all that, you know, like your typical MEPS visits. Um, the only thing that's actually pretty cool and unique is no matter what uh, rate you want to go, you go right into an A school. So you go right from boot camp and you kind of have a little more leeway to decide when you want to go, but you pretty much go from boot camp to A school. So I was going to be a an ME reservist. So I had orders cut for two weeks after my boot camp graduation date for MEA school. And that A school at the time was closed to active duty members. So that's the only thing that's different. That's pretty cool is that you can go to any A school without waiting. <laughs> but you would have gone to the same school as the active duty ME, yes. same training. So mm-hmm. do they section off billets for reservists is that how you would have been able to get in or do they have a different mission i'm not sure um i know it's the exact same a school like i mean even when i was in a school i was with some reservists as well but i'm not sure if they like section off a certain amount of spots for reservists or how that works they'll have different jobs though upon graduation due to the nature of working weekends and they're two weeks a year right yeah so you get assigned to a specific unit so my unit was the sector boarding team at sector new york So I was going to graduate MEA school as an ME3 and report back there. And then on the weekends, I would be doing boardings and, you know, have the opportunity to go to boarding officer school and stuff like that. Okay, but you ended up not finishing boot camp as reservist. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) So what what happened? (laughs) I, (laughs) I didn't know about a lot of what the Coast Guard did. The only people I knew that were in the Coast Guard were ME reservists. (laughs) So I knew what ME sector boarding team members did. And in boot camp, you know how you go through like seamanship and like you start to learn about the history of the Coast Guard. You kind of learn about all the missions like search and rescue and, you know, ATON and everything else. And I kind of learned about cutters, actually. (laughs) And I was like, wow, like this seems super cool. So I asked the yeoman, well, I asked my company commanders if I could go to the yeoman's office. And I went to the yeoman's office, I think week four, week five in boot camp. So kind of a little later on. And I asked if I could get an active duty contract and become active duty instead of reserves. And they said yes, but I would have to take my name off that A school list because MEA school is not uh, boot to A rate. So if I had orders already for a boot to A rate in the Coast Guard, I could have still gone to that A school. So yeah, but the process started in boot camp, but it actually didn't finish until a month after graduation. So I did drill for two months as a reservist non-rate, which is very strange because <laughs> usually there's not really non-rate reservists. <laughs> well, I think around weeks four or five is when you get cut orders as a non-rate to your first unit. Yeah. So when you're saying that you did reservist drill for a month or two, mm-hmm. you did not have orders during that time frame? No, I was still attached spot. to the sector boarding team at Sector New York. So I reported there. I did my PHA, like my all my medical stuff with them. And then I met my supervisors. They knew the situation, though, so they didn't really, you know, they. I was just kind of there because I had to be there kind of thing. And then eventually I got an active duty contract, so I... A yeoman does all your paperwork. So they they transferred my paperwork from the yeoman's office at Cape May to 
the recruiting office that I originally recruited out of in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And one of the yeoman recruiters was the one that switched all my paperwork over from reserves to active duty. Well, see, you're probably pretty brave, too. Your week four and five is when they're really hard on you guys. So being able to walk all the way from those oh buildings gosh. there to that was, getting to the office. That was the worst part. And I think, like, every other day, my CCs were telling me I had to go down to the yeoman's office for something. Because there's a lot of moving parts involved. And I have a very long and complicated last name. And funny enough, it messes up a lot of paperwork. And then they can't find certain things because... It's a whole thing. But yeah, I had to walk down there by myself so many times and I would be panicking. That was probably the scariest part of boot camp for me. Because <laughs> you get to walk right by that hall where all of them come flocking out of the yes, CCs. I definitely had to do push-ups on the concrete uh, outside of the Yeoman's building. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're always just scoping around. There. It's like a shark pit over there oh, for those who haven't been to boot camp yet. Or Try to not have to go to the Yeoman's to office by yourself. <laughs> Uh, to touch back real quick then, mm-hmm. what got you interested in joining the Coast Guard as that reserve? So you said you talked to MEs yes. prior. Mm-hmm. So prior to the Coast Guard, I actually worked for the DEA, and a lot of the agents and task force officers are in the Coast Guard Reserves. Um, it's a great program for people who are in law enforcement because you can go through Depot, which is the delayed entry program, or sorry, not delayed entry program, the whatever the fast boot camp is, the three-week one, and you actually graduate as an E5 ME if you're like a law enforcement officer. So a lot of them did that because of the benefits and because they are eventually going to retire with two pensions. So when I was at the office and I was thinking about doing law enforcement in the civilian world, they were like, well, you should look at the Coast Guard and do the reserves. Like, it's a great opportunity because, you know, you can join at 22, 23, and you can retire in the reserves, you know, in your 40s. And that's a whole nother pension on top of what you're going to do with law enforcement, like in the civilian world. And yeah, so that's how I just got into the Coast Guard. I just kind of figured, too, in boot camp, I kind of wanted to leave New Jersey. Like, I was kind of over it, and I wanted more of a fresh start. And I knew if I was on the path that I was going, I would probably stay in that state for the rest of my life (laughs) because I had applied to, like, state police and stuff like that. But, yeah, so I was like, I'm still young. I'll probably just do four years on a contract um, to travel and get underway with those big boats, maybe do some, like, counter-narcotics interdictions. And, yeah. And now I'm here. <laughs> All right. So I have two questions about that. Yes. Number one, do you still get TRICARE benefits if you're a reservist? Yes, you have to benefits? pay into it. So it's about $50 a month, which is way better than significantly like, less than a civilian job. Yes. Um, but yeah, you get full TA and you get a GI bill and you get um, full health care as long as you're paying into it. But the way I put it too is when you drill every month, you're making about like on the lower enlisted side, you're making about $200 a month. So, you know, 200 of those dollars or 50 of those $200 could just go to your, you know, healthcare. So I think it's a great program. I would encourage a lot of people to join the reserves, especially if they're on the fence, because you're only devoting a weekend a month, you know, and you can Mm -hmm. learn so much just by being in the Coast Guard to see if maybe that's what you really want to do. Helps your civilian applications and resumes, too, to say you're a Coast Guard reservist. Yes, absolutely. Okay, my second question is, is the DEA, or is it actually like the show in Breaking Bad with the Agent Schrader? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it's similar to TV shows. A lot of it is a lot slower than how TV shows are. You know, cases can take six months to a year to form. They don't just happen in like a week like you see on the, on the shows but yeah <laughs> it was right. a cool job <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that discussion on another episode <laughs> yeah stay focused here i'm digressing uh okay so you ended up being a reservist your first two months at a boot camp mm-hmm. then they cut you orders to the coast guard cutter oak uh yes yeah, so i got to talk to a detailer and uh i mean it was through my recruiter so the essentially your recruiter will contact the detailer and you know how you put a dream sheet in for boot camp Mm -hmm. so they asked me what kind of billet i wanted so i requested an underway billet on the west coast that preferably did law enforcement (laughs) 
And about three days later, they come back with orders that say I'm going to Coast Guard Cutter Oak. I All this, all it said was Coast Guard Cutter Oak. So I jump on Google because I see Cutter and I'm all excited. And I go on Google and I see this big buoy tender with a huge crane on it, home ported <laughs> three hours from where I was living. And I was like, all right, I guess this is where we're going. In Atumbo on the <laughs> East Coast, yes. that is supposed to not do any law enforcement, but... Yes. They ended up doing some LE. Yes. Yes, they did. By choice of our old CEO. Absolutely. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was just like, at least I got a boat, I guess. <laughs> well, I think the funny thing is, too, with the LE that we did do in the boat, it was almost like we had to call the boats and tell them, you mind slowing down so we can board you? <laughs> so... Yes. It's very much not LE. Black holes are not LE boats. No, but they, 225s actually are under the Coast Guard. They are a law enforcement platform. They're actually one of the only boats that have all three missions of the Coast Guard, like the capability to do all three missions. I found that out recently because I was kind of making fun of the fact that the Oak was doing law enforcement and someone actually educated me and was like, well, <laughs> 225s are meant to do law enforcement. I mean, that's why there's an armory and everything on board. So technically two weeks out of the year, they're supposed to be doing law enforcement. I guess do some migrant operations and stuff. So they, the buoy deck's a good place to yeah be able to handle that sort of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You report to the Oak. Yes. What, now it's nothing like what you wanted it to be <laughs> no. on your dream sheet. <laughs> right. So how was it showing up? Oh, I was so nervous. I had my traps on. I, I literally drove three hours in my traps because I didn't know where I was going to like stop to put them on. Come to find out it was the day after the Oak had just pulled back in from a two-week trip. So there was like no one on the boat. I didn't even need to be in my traps that day. It wasn't until a couple days later that I was going to meet like the CEO and everyone. <laughs> so yeah, but it was everyone was pretty welcoming. You know, I got along like really well with all the non-rates and everyone in deck department right off the bat and now looking back I don't know why I was so nervous to show up but everyone kind of is I feel like when it's your first like real unit. (laughs) So you reported the summer of 2020. Yep. And you end up going through a year of learning to do buoys and stand watch Mm -hmm. an import watch stander. Yes. And then this is preemptive like prelude to when I show up but Mm -hmm. You end up halfway through that year going to a dry dock period in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. So you're not doing the Aton mission anymore. Mm-hmm. How did that feel going to the dry dock in Maryland? Yeah, was so that- it was a dock side. So the boat didn't actually come out of the water. It was just moored up on the pier, but there was a bunch of cro- contractors on the boat doing maintenance. Um, the transit actually from Newport to Baltimore was pretty fun because... It wasn't as cold as when we go up to Maine, so it was kind of nice to go south instead of north for once. But then it was a lot of, like, weird long hours. So when we were in dry dock, you know how it was right, like, 20 minutes from where we're usually home ported? Mm -hmm. When you're in a different state, the way, like, the duty section runs and everything is totally different. So we would have groups of three, you know, like the OOD with the two watch standers. You would actually stand a seven-day watch. So... We were going down in groups every week, and we would relieve the section that was there. We would stay for a week, and then we'd go home. So about once a month, maybe. I weirdly stood a lot of duty when we were in Baltimore. I don't know how that happened, but I had more weeks than I feel like anyone else did. But it was okay, because, yeah, it it honestly, like, I feel like it definitely bonded the crew, because we were all kind of like exhausted from the schedule Mm -hmm. and then on top of those those weeks um you would have like work weekends where you would go friday to sunday to work on projects for your department so for deck department it was a lot of sanding and painting as you could guess so yeah we were just bouncing back and forth between baltimore and here but when we were here we were just kind of doing like computer work at the map building keeping on top of government training stuff like that so it was very like chill when we were here but it was very like long hours when we were in baltimore well i think what made it difficult for your time on the oak too is you go from baltimore dockside to the dry dock with long hours as well and then you had most of your department change over 
Yes, that it was, was when difficult. I came in. It was all brand new people. There was we have new chief, new bosun, mm-hmm. new non rates, and on top of all that, with all these new people in your department, no one really has, at least on the non rate side, experience with the buoys. So yeah, you all of a sudden jumped into one of those leadership roles. Yeah, it was also weird because everyone who kind of was more senior left during the dry dock or dockside period to go to a school so then the next thing i knew i was like one of the longest standing non-rates on the boat and i was like this is weird i feel like just yesterday i was like the new green like you know deckhand (laughs) working buoys but it was definitely hard going through a transfer season while going through the dry dock because everything's changing it's not just like the crew it's the whole boat is changing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it was hard to adjust to to also new supervisors when you're used to doing certain things the same way for a whole year you know what's expected of you from those people and now it's kind of like okay well scratch that let's regroup this is what i as a leader want from you guys now so it was definitely a little hard i feel like for me and some of the other non-rates that have been there for a while to adjust to the new way of doing things but that's just how it goes even at every unit i'm right now at my unit i'm going through another transfer season where a lot of people left as well so you know it happens and that's how that's how it goes so you just have to adapt right and this entire time you were on the me active duty a school list so first i was on the bma school list <laughs> so right when you reported <laughs> yeah. you put your name on the bm list so when i reported there was a four month uh period where you couldn't put your name on an a school list you had to get fully qualified and well i don't know if the oak required to be fully qualified but that was something that was kind of stressed to me by my department that you know you should focus on getting qualified and then just in general, you needed to wait four months to put your name on an A school list. That was like a Coast Guard policy, and unless it was a critical rate. So at first, MEA school was still closed. Like the, you couldn't put your name on the list. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to BMA school because they do law enforcement, and you know, there's some great opportunities. The only thing I was a little hesitant about was how wide the job is. Like you can be mm-hmm. a navigation BM on a buoy tender. Or you can be a BM at a small boat station doing search and rescue. Or you can be, you know, a deck BM on a big white boat and then you're doing nothing but like, you know, you're in charge of a bunch of non-rates, but you're also doing like boardings. You get to go to boarding officer school. Like, it's just, there's so many different things, which is Completely great. Completely different paths. Right. Like spider web. Which is great, but there were some aspects and some jobs that BMs did that I was like not you know, I didn't really want to do, so I didn't know if I wanted to, like, risk it, but yeah, so I had my name on the BMA school list, I was working my way up the numbers, and then the MEA school list opened, so I asked if I could switch my name from BM to ME, and that process is pretty easy, you submit a chit, and then the yeoman at your unit will just switch your name from the 1A school list to the other one, it needs CO approval, of course. And you start at the bottom of the new list again. So then I was at the bottom of the MEA school list in sometime in the winter time of 2020 very beginning of 2021 and they were pushing through classes like they had never pushed through like in a while so it was like every month there were mea school classes going through so in the beginning of june i actually got orders for mea school yes i had orders to go in august to a school and i was all excited and i was like yay finally orders here we are we're gonna gonna go to MEA school and then unfortunately I got injured on the oak so when you get injured you get put on a medical hold for a school because you cannot go to a school you cannot PCS in general if you are on light duty you might need to check me on that but I'm pretty sure it's PCS in general but for sure for a school if you're on light duty you can't go to a school right they'll put a med on you yeah and you have to wait for the next class and you're fully fit fit for for duty Mm -hmm. again Yep, so I got my orders canceled, and I got put on a medical hold for MEA school. And then MEA school stopped taking classes. My class, I had the last set of orders for the last class of that year because <laughs> I calculated it because the cutoff, you know how you see your numbers? I think I was number like 20, and the guy that was under me at number 21 was now number one on the list. <laughs> so I was like the last, I was like the last cutoff for the that a school class 
and that was the last class of that year. Well, what ended up happening then is you switched to the OSA school list. Yes. Now, what made you attracted to OS? So, Switching from ME with the mindset that you had that, oh, I want to go ME, and then maybe switch to the reserves on ME. Yeah. I thought a lot about what A school I wanted to put my name on for the third time. I was like, third time's a charm. Like, this one's going to work. Um, but I just knew that I didn't want to, like, keep waiting for schools to open and close and it was just too stressful I was just like maybe it's just not meant to be like you know it is what it is so I actually one of our friends his wife used to be an OS she was an OS for eight years and she served both at sectors and on big white holes and we were just getting together I dog sit for them a lot and she was telling me about her experience as an OS and she got out because her so her husband's still in the Coast Guard and it was just too hard for both of them to be in the Coast Guard because you know they were starting to have kids and stuff so she ended up getting out but she said she loved it until the day she got out and she was just telling me all about what OS's did and stuff and I think that there's such a lack of information about what OSs actually do, and unfortunately, there's a horrible reputation for OSs in the Coast Guard. You know, everyone thinks that, like, I don't know why everyone thinks that we're just, like, lazy or, I don't know, it's just a weird thing that, like, people just kind of don't like OSs, but I think it's genuinely because no one really knows, like, what we do. (laughs) So, I can give you my perspective, and this is just based on what I saw on (laughs) GoCoastGuard.com. Yeah. Uh, Back in 2015, I was originally going to apply for the Coast Guard straight out of high school before I went to college. And when I looked at the rates, I didn't know what any rate did because there's no Coast to Coasties podcast to tell me. So I went on Mm GoCoastGuard.com. I looked at the Reddits. And the Reddit is really unknown if you don't know the Coast Guard Reddit exists. They have a whole Reddit page with everything on it. I had no idea that everything existed. So. Really, all you have is when you type in, what do you do in the Coast Guard, that website comes up. Mm-hmm. And they have little one-minute videos, and it shows this guy on a computer in, like, a dark room <laughs> in, like, a tactical setting. <laughs> and they're doing very cool. They're on the headset, doing operational stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's the job. That's the job really? I want to do. It's perfect. Oh, my goodness. And I went to the recruiters, and I talked about being OS. And... They said, oh, well, you know, I don't really know much about that, but I can put you in touch with someone that does if you want. And ultimately, before I got to that stage, I went to college. Yeah. So my OS path ended up, I'll say, ending at that point right. because my college education much more led me towards the MST route. Mm-hmm. But is that an accurate representation of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Me personally no, I'm at a sector. So sector OS and cutter OS honestly should be two totally different rates. Like that's how different the jobs are. And I've obviously never been on a cutter as an OS, but a lot of people I met in A school who I'm still in contact with, you know, they kind of tell me what they're doing and stuff. So like the, you know, the combat room on the cutters, that's the dark tactical room that was probably in the video. (laughs) There's no windows. It's all like, you know, the blue lights and stuff for your night vision and all that. And they plot a lot of points. They have similar duties to chemos, but they also do a lot of like, they work with the the ISs on the boat as well. So even within the, that like little combat room, there's different jobs that the OSs do. And that's typically based off of like, if you're a third, second, first chief, senior chief, so on and so forth. At a command center, it's a similar structure. I actually have a window. I'm lucky. Some command centers don't have windows, but I have a window, so during the day I can see sunlight, which is nice, which is another funny stereotype that they have about OSs is that we never see sunlight. But as a third, you have the communications watch standards. That's what I do as a third class. The second class is the situational unit, so the situational watch standard, and then the first class is the operational, like, it's called the operations unit, but the operational watch center. And then you have a CDO who is, like, the OOD of the command center. They stand 24-hour watches, and they're in and out, and we call them if we need them kind of thing. That's what the command center pretty much is made up of, so. Well, I remember we had an IS warrant come and give us a briefing before our Greenland trip recently, and he was telling us about his career that 
when he started in the Coast Guard in the early 2000s, there was no IS. Mm-hmm. There were OSs that switched to IS. So mm-hmm. I imagine there's some crossover between the operations specialists and intelligence specialists. A little bit. I think just the systems and everything that they're working on. They they just, I, I all I know is that they work close together underway. Certain ones. I think it's more like the chief's positions. <laughs> well, I don't think that OS is, you know, really well understood. Yeah. Is that... You get this stigma because, obviously, we know the story of CSs. Right. They promote this five-star culinary class uh, preparation for a change of command on their website. People are like, oh, a CS, I'm going to be doing this all the time. You do it once every three years. Right. So people end up getting on a big white hall as a CS. And that rate, you're really locked into being underway so much. And you see the time frames on his boot to A, boot to mm-hmm. A, and huge bonuses, it's much the same like with OS. OS. Yeah. But the difference with OS is you're not stuck on a cutter your whole career. No, and I think that's another miscon- con- misconception. The rate is pretty much 60% land and 40% underway, if not a little more land. Um, and the cool thing, you know, everyone kind of gets frustrated because they're like, well, OS is rank up so fast because that's another thing. Like, I'm, the one chief I met has only been in the Coast Guard eight years. You know what I mean? So, but the reason why that is is because every command center has a third, a second, a first, and a chief position. So unlike a lot of other rates where it's more of like a pyramid, the OS rate is more of a square. Like, you need to fill all those billets. So that's why they're taking so many seconds, and then they're taking so many firsts, and they're taking so many chiefs. Once you get to senior chief, master chief, it's definitely, like, much more, you know, it's harder to make senior and master chief, obviously. So Pentagon style. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why the rate advances as fast as it does, and I think that's another reason why it might stay critical like a lot because we're always advancing so you're always going to need the fill you you always need to fill those third class positions but the other thing is a lot of people don't even stay in after their first enlistment and I'll tell you why I went to a school and 50% of the people who came from boot camp didn't even know the job that they were getting into they had no idea they signed the bonus yeah they saw the and their recruiters the were like yeah you're just going to you're pretty much like a like a communications person they're like oh okay they had no clue like what OS's even did mm-hmm. and a lot of them upon graduation were kind of like i don't know if this is really like meant for me cuz it's definitely not meant for everyone but I just think that there's not enough information on what we actually do, you know, especially like I can talk a lot about what I do at a sector day to day. I don't even know personally, like a lot of what you do at, um, on a cutter. All I know is what life is like underway. <laughs> but yeah, even at a sector like so a lot of people, you know, they get out after their first enlistment because they're now in a job that they didn't even know that they signed up for pretty much. Do they not like the job, or is it just not what they're expecting, or is civilian prospects really good, and that's why they? I don't think civilian. The only job that this really like goes over to in the civilian world is like a dispatcher, but even at the high ranks, as you know, uh, chief, senior chief. I don't. I mean, I haven't really looked too much into that. I mean, they. You know, they get a lot of responsibilities. Even as a first class, as an OS at a sector, you have, like, some of the most responsibility. Like, it's pretty stressful. I just think that people get overwhelmed. You know, the schedule isn't for everyone. People like a little more regular, you know, schedules. Like, we're a watch standing rate. You know what the most annoying part about being a non-rate on the Oak was to me? Standing watch. (laughs) But when it's your only job, to me, like, I don't mind how... My hours are, I work 12 hours at a time. You know, people don't like that. And people don't really know what it's like to strictly be a watch standing rate. So I think that that's a lot of the reason why. And it's stressful. Like, Mm -hmm. it definitely can wear on you. Like, this summer has for sure, you know, worn me down a little bit with how many search and rescue cases I've worked and everything. So, and I'm up here. I can't imagine being in Key West where it's like 100 times more busy. (laughs) So... Right, because you you get the calls for comms, and the threes are the ones filtering those initial calls. Yep, so, So. yeah, I don't know if you want me to talk about kind of what I do day-to-day, or if you want to do A school first, and then... Oh, we can get back to A school this time, but I'd rather hear, because 
like you said, not a lot of people know exactly what OSs do. This is your right. opportunity to tell someone who's looking at OS, hey, not now, this is what we actually do. Yeah. Promote that, the right. actual what, what you're doing. Yeah. So um, every command center is different. You know, people's relief times are different. But the standard is anywhere between 5 and 6 a.m. and p.m. are your two relief times for the day. So I show up, if I'm on days, I show up at about 5.30. Our relief time is 6 a.m. So I show up at about 5.30. I'm in a secure command center, so I leave my watch and my phone in a little locker outside the command center. I have my little code. I put in my code, and I go into the command center. We do daily checks as the the third class, so we check the safes, make sure that nothing's missing. So every 12 hours, the safes get checked. And then I talk to my fellow OS3, and I kind of get a feel for what's going on. So the nice thing about the job, I will say, is after 12 hours, like, you know you're going home. Like, there's, you can, you're not standing more than 12 hours of watch, right. which buoy, is nice. Right, buoy onload or offload. Oh, we got onload. <laughs> right. You're staying after today. Right. No, nothing so, like that. Um, I kind of get the rundown. Even if there's, I've relieved in the midst of huge cases before. So even if there's a big case going on, you have 12 assets underway, like, you're still going home. You pass it on to the next person. But that's an important part of it because as the oncoming watchstander, I kind of need to have a big picture of, like, everything that's going on. So, so I can you write it down on, like, a little note sheet as it's going down? So yeah, can, so we uh, have we actually have a relief sheet, so you print it off. And um, the first section is any active cases that are going on. So it'll write the case name, and there's missile numbers attached to every case. So it'll have the missile number. And then below that will be any... Coast Guard assets that we're guarding at the moment. So we take the guard for air assets, cutters, and small boats. And then it'll be any broadcasts that are going out. So we do marine broadcasts, whether they're urgency, safety, or regular ones. Um, so it'll have all those broadcasts. But what's nice is that we actually record them so they play automatically. So usually if there's a broadcast going on, I'm not too concerned about it because I know it'll pop up and send itself out which is nice and then when the small boat stations are asleep we take their guard for them so we're in charge of their their radios as well but we kind of always monitor all the radios so it doesn't really matter like to me personally like I don't actively think if I hear a call like oh well Point Judith has their guard so they can answer them like I'm always just going to answer them because that's kind of my job. Like, these people are doing that as a collateral, you know? Right. So, and they have to pass information back through us anyway. So, you might as well just do it yourself. That's mm-hmm. how I see you it. You eliminate though. the middleman, make it easier just right. to have that direct flow. Exactly. Um, and then at the bottom, there's a little area for like miscellaneous comments. So, the person that's on watch will fill out that piece of paper and then they'll give you a quick brief. And then I ask a million questions. I'm notorious for it, but I just like to know like all the information. And then we get together, um, the OU, the SU, and the CU with the CDO. We all get together and we do a full relief brief and a pass down. So I start as the third and I read off that whole relief sheet. So that way the CDO knows that I know what's going on. And then the situations unit, they deal with all the marine casualties and um, environmental stuff. So they'll talk about if they have any active cases going on, if there's any boats being investigated for, you know, like letting oil or gas or whatever out into the ocean. And then the OU is who I work with, like, directly, pretty much. They're the SAR controller. They run the SAR cases, you know. Well, a lot of them like to kind of do it as, like, a team effort, you know, like both of us do it together. Um, But, yeah, so they do all law enforcement and search and rescue. So once we complete passing down all of our information, we do a GAR, and we go through and we say, you know, we talk about how we're feeling that day. If some of us, it's our second or third watch on in a row, you know, it's going to go up to a medium with crew fatigue and stuff like that. Is that the max you'll do is three days? Uh, yeah, three, 12 on, 12 off. I have yet to do three in a row, but some of the SUs do them, but it just depends how the schedule is. I typically work one 12-hour shift on, two days off. One on, two off. One on, two off. I work about two or three days a week. Yeah, it's, So for everyone that's complaining about, you know, thinking that the OS rate stinks, I only go to work for between 24 and 48 hours a week. <laughs> 
So it's, it's because Coast Guard's a salary position. Yes, You're still I get making paid as the much same. as those people that yes. are out there on White House for two exactly. months at a time. Yeah. So um, it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But the only thing that stinks is we switch days to nights. So for July, I was on days, so six a.m. to six p.m. And then this month, I'm on nights, so six p.m. to six a.m. the next morning. That watch can get... I'm a morning person, so for me, the night watches are a little rough. But some some of the guys love being on night watch because they're like night owls. So they'd much rather stay up through the night. They'd be like me and SK, too. We'd like to like stay yes, in mid-watch. you probably would. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how the beginning of the watch goes. And... I take over, I log out, or the other person logs out of their accounts. So we have a Rescue 21 account, which is the software that we use to monitor Channel 16, the International Hailing and Distress Frequency, 22 Alpha, and then the encrypted Coast Guard uh, frequencies as well. And funny enough, I didn't know I was going to learn so much about like how radios and that technology works, but half of the A school is learning about... like. I felt like I was almost like an ET, like learning about the the ring ranges of all the cell towers and depending on how high they are, like this is how far they can reach and the history behind why we have Rescue 21. And yeah, it's a great program. We can replay calls. We can get people's GPS positions like from the from Channel 16 if they've gotten their radio like more if it's a newer radio, typically their pinpoint will pop up really fast. Whereas some people with like older radios, it, we might not get an exact position on them, but we'll get like a line of bearing. And with a program called SARops, you can kind of see maybe potentially like where they are. Well, I'll say this is that technology for your rate has just improved immensely so much. Yeah. My great grandfather, I know he's listening to this, is a World War II veteran who was mm-hmm. a radio comms guy. Oh, cool. And he had to memorize Morse code. Oh, my goodness. All the Morse code things. And he'd get little beeps and dings, and he'd have to write it down as it was coming through. Yeah. That's how comms was back in the 1940s That's insane. for him. Yeah, the only Morse code we need to know is what the SOS is. Because, funny enough, my sector a couple of years ago got an SOS through Morse code with someone keying up on 16 because they couldn't talk over the radio. Oh, so he was for the dots and the dashes. Yep, three okay. dots, three dashes. Wow. <laughs> yep. Even still in 2022. I can't believe that. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, but I guess he couldn't talk over his radio, so he was keying up on the channel, so you would see it flash, and it would be like three short and three long. And they made us listen to it uh, when you're breaking in and you're learning. They make you like listen to important calls and read about important cases that your specific unit has uh, worked, because we learn a lot from unfortunately maybe doing the wrong thing or making the wrong calls during a case and the coast guard's big on learning from mistakes so right lessons learned yeah those things yeah well i guess i'd have to ask this then is because you said it this job doesn't translate into a lot of things in the civilian world besides maybe 911 dispatcher yeah if i want to do a full career in the coast guard how does the advancement look job to job within the rate so if I enjoy doing this con stuff and I intend to make a full career out of the Coast Guard, yeah, how does that line up as you go up in the levels of OS? I'm sure you have to do some afloat time and some ashore time if you're going to make a career yeah. out of it. So your requirement to make chief is one year underway. Just so one year? Just one year. Wow. A lot of people like to go to boats out of A school because... They know they can get their year of sea time out of the way and then stay kind of on land maybe for a good chunk of their career. I know first classes who have gone from one unit as an OS3 doing the comms watch to another unit as an OS2 doing the situations watch to this unit that they've never been underway on a boat. They've been at land for like you know maybe eight six eight years of their career and now they're the os1 doing search and rescue and i think it's actually smart because you're like in it the whole time you know you're learning stuff all your years being at different sectors on how to run cases and how different ou's do different things how different cu's do different things whereas when you're going from a boat to land to a boat to land like you're kind of in and out of it so by the time you maybe get to the chief position, now you're a CDO, like there's a lot of learning to do and you're going to probably be a break-in for a lot longer. Like we also have an OU that just showed up in OS1 
Um, he's been, he went from a cutter as a third to an air station as a second, because we have air station billets, which is a dream billet for me. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really? cool. Mm-hmm. And then now he's at a sector as a first, but he's going to be a search and rescue controller, and he's never worked a search and rescue case as an OS. So that requires a lot of break-in time. Yeah, and you go to C schools, but it's going to take him a good, you know, maybe like six to eight months to kind of, because the, the captain has to feel comfortable with you you know, running the search and rescue case. So it's one of the biggest boards as an OS is probably the OU and the CDO board. Because the CDO is also a direct representation of the captain. Like, in the middle of the night, you know, we'll call captain to brief him on very big cases, but the CDO has their discretion to kind of, you know, make certain calls for certain things because the captain has granted them that, you know, power, Mm -hmm. if you will. So, yeah. But it's it's definitely doable to kind of go do a lot of land units as an OS. I also know a couple OSs that just love what cutter OSs do, and they love being in the combat room. And Is that possible, then, if you don't want to do sectors, to just do cutter to cutter? Is there always that I think, possibility? Yeah, it's definitely possible to go as like from a third on a cutter to a second on a cutter. Um, I think after a while, though, they're going to send you to land, but that's any rate. They, for some reason, kind of after a certain amount of time, don't want people being on cutters. But to me, I'm like, if the people want to do it, you might as well let them kind of thing. Right. You know, but yeah, it's definitely possible. And the biggest thing is that there's like these road shows and stuff where the detailers come out and they give little seminars on what they kind of do. Right. And no one goes to them. No one even knows that they have them. But I find the people who actually go to them and make face-to-face time with the detailer, who's the person that will decide (laughs) pretty much where they're going, they tend to have things work much more in their favor than maybe people who don't. So I would encourage people to try to find the roadshows for any rate. They have them for all rates. I've never even heard of this. Yeah. So um, they even have like the A school one, like the whoever the detailer is for A schools. I don't know if they do roadshows, but I know that their contact information is is somewhere on the on the portal. But yeah, like, and I just went to the YN one just because I wanted to. I had a question about um, something, but it was a generalized question. It wasn't like a question about my rate, so I asked the the YN detailer and gave me a great answer. So I would encourage people to go to those roadshows because that helps you understand what they're doing as a detailer, and maybe they don't like. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, the detailer must have been in a bad mood. Like, I got my last pick kind of thing. Like, people make jokes about it. But when you actually hear how they have to do stuff, it's actually pretty eye-opening and seems right. like a it's, tough job. So It's very <laughs> difficult. Even you hear the situations, well, I want to go to Maine and that guy wanted to go to California, but we got flipped. So right. The, the, but it's a lot more complex behind the scenes exactly. as to why that happened. Mm-hmm. And a lot of your questions are answered by going to those roadshows. They do these whole slideshows, like... With all this crucial information, especially member to member, you know, or if you have a significant other with special needs, there's like the special needs program. It's just there's a ton of information that's very beneficial. (laughs) Well, I'd like to also get into I've seen a couple times. uh, Most recently, OS3 McLaughlin came on board last spring. Mm -hmm. She works with you. Yes. And she said she needed to come on the Oak to get sign up. Mm-hmm. Is that required to advance to OS2? You need to go on a cutter for a TDY to so, get some QMO sign-offs? Yeah, so you have the EPQs and the RPQs that every rate has. Um, and in order to take the service-wide, you have to have those all signed off. And then you need to have your marks done um, for that upcoming period. Or sorry, the previous period. And yeah, so one of the things that OS is due underway is QMO stuff. So for us that we're on land, we try to seek out opportunities to go TDY to get QMO sign-offs because it's going to help us with our advancement. And it's the same way with OSs on cutters. When they're in port, I know a lot of them try to go TDY to maybe stand a watch or two breaking in as a comms watch stander because half of the service-wide is also questions about that. So, yeah, they, they're pretty good about, at my unit, about supporting you with, you know, 
TDY opportunities and anything that's going to help you in your personal career, which is awesome. I have a great command. So, Was the buoy duck stuff just a bonus then to go out and have fun? Yes. And unfortunately at the time, so a lot of the male OSs got to go with the small patrol boats, the 87s and the 110s. But at the time there was no female birthing options. So the only cutter that would accept a female TDY was the oak. And my chief mm-hmm. actually, when I showed up, asked me if I wanted to go TDY with the oak. And I was like, um, Chief, I just came from there for the last like year and a half. I don't really want to go back underway right now. Thank you. <laughs> but now I'm um, hopefully going to get orders soon to go TDY with a 110. And that's a platform. I, I mean, they're decommissioning, but the FRCs are the ones that are replacing them. And it's just a different platform, you know, than a buoy tender. So I'm excited to kind of see what that's all about. Right. I think because you're in the LE, you'll like the fisheries mission. Oh, I'm it. sure I will. <laughs> very much so. Yes. It's, I remember every day on when I was on the 110, we would uh, go out, do about three or four boardings, launch the small boat. They'd go and the boarding officers would go and board the vessel, make sure they were doing everything right. Yeah. The entire time, you know, you need experienced cubos up there. Yeah. Tight, tight quarters, but mm-hmm. and it's got to be with our assets. Right. So, yeah. Um, Getting into more so of your career prospects, Mm -hmm. what is your intention after, because now you've been active duty for roughly two years? Yeah, over two years. So you probably have two years left on that active duty contract? Unfortunately, I have a little more. (laughs) Um, I extended in A school. uh, So I had to extend the first time because you have to do two years in rate. Um, And then I extended again to accept the bonus. So I will be... My active duty contract ends January or February of 2026. Okay, so you took the four-year bonus. Uh, Yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. what is the current bonus? This is of August 21st, 2022. I believe the Boutte bonus is 20000 but there is a policy that states if you're from the fleet, you cannot get anything more than 15000 for a critical rate. So I got 15000 but after taxes, it's really like $12,700. Were you able to pay off your student loans with it? or Not all of them, <laughs> but yes, I put it towards my debt, um, my student loans, and uh, some credit card debt that I had. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I also got a bonus for signing up to join, and I've oh, sort yeah, of been I didn't holding off with the whole, like, they're not sure whether they're going to pay off student loans or not. Yeah, so I hope they do, because I'm been, still in debt for my bachelor's I've just been degree. waiting, <laughs> but yeah. I hear you might get another ten grand wipe soon. That'd Don't be nice, because then, I know, I heard that too, so hopefully, and then that'll probably be pretty much good to go for my student loans, so that Right, that'll nice. at least give you like that jump start to like yeah. start base and not be in debt anymore. Yeah, um, but what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so my career intentions. So I am going to take, I couldn't take this year service-wide because I didn't have a set of, um, you need a set of marks from being rated. So I had a bunch of non-rate marks, but by the time your paperwork is due in February for the May service-wide. So I reported in February. So even though I had my sign-offs for the EPQs and RPQs, I didn't have a set of rated marks, so I couldn't take May service-wide. So I will be taking the service side of May of 2023, and if all goes well, I'll be above the cut, and then I would put on um, OS2 maybe in the winter time of 2024. So about you know two years left of my contract. And that's a significant pay bonus going from E4 to E5 yes. with that time in service well, of that's four years the biggest, as well. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that I find is that my pay jumped a lot. Um, when I made E4 because I had hit my, there's like that over two year mark mm-hmm. is a pay jump. And then it's, I think it's two, four, six. I forget what it is, but the first pay jump you get for your time in is after two years. Well, so. also you got that every year in January, the Coast Guard, and this is for uh, DOD Department of Defense wide. They have that increase every January to account for inflation. Oh, yeah. So you had that on top of graduating yep. A school. On top, yeah. So and that was nice. And then two-year enlistment came in that a couple spring. months later. Yeah, so that was nice. But, yeah, it'll be a nice pay jump. And, yeah, I'm going to try to fleet up. So when you fleet up, that means that you... My contract, or sorry, my um, rotation date on a land unit is four years. 
So underway, your rotation date is three years after mm-hmm. you show up. So my rotation date is February of 2026, because um, it'll be four years from when I showed up, um, which will be about the, the end of my contract anyway. So my plan is to try to fleet up. So I want to stay at the unit until my rotation date, but filling an OS2 position instead of the OS3 position. And it's pretty possible in the rate because it's a critical rate. You know, they need people everywhere. So if your command wants you to stay and you want to stay, you just kind of talk to the detailer. And um, I've seen it happen a lot. So especially if you're like, a lot of times you've seen people fleet up on the Oak, right? There's been a lot of fleet ups yeah, on and the boat. A lot of them are also have dependents, like whether they're in the service or not. It's easier to co-locate people as well. If you're co-located, like one of the OS2s at my unit, she's co-located. Her husband's an SK3, and she like has a great chance of fleeting up because they don't want to move both parties, you know, because... Right, it gets hard when both <clears throat> you are in the service, too. Right. So if you're married and another service member, yeah. then... That sort of... Yeah, so there's a lot that plays into it, but I think I'll have a good chance of being able to stay as an OS2, and then I'm just going to work, you know, still in the command center doing my watches, and I want to... um, So I'm planning to go into the reserves after my contract is done. As a reserve OS? No. So I found the Rocky program, which is the direct commission program. So you, you commission from active duty enlisted to reserve officer. So you put in a packet and you do like five weeks of OCS. It's not the full OCS. And then you become a reservist ensign. Oh, the, the, I think that's the program I'm going into, the five-week direct commissioning Yeah, program. so any of the direct commissioning programs, yeah. they all go through the same um, OCS-like program. But you would have to do that after your enlistment contract is up? Or? So I think it's six six months to the end of your active duty contract. You can put in a packet. There's some timeline on it. I'm not too concerned about it at the moment because I got a couple years. Years, but years down the road. My plan is to stay in the Coast Guard as a reservist um, probably until I hit 20 years. I mean, at that time, I'll have over six years in. So I, mean, well, I think that's really smart to do because yeah. you still get all the benefits and reservist points work differently. I don't know how that mm-hmm. whole system works. You uh, can rank up fairly easily in the reserves, though, even as an officer, because my um, I have a lieutenant that is like he's like my boss, pretty much. That's the other thing about the sector. It's weird because your department goes from like enlist and then you have like an LT that's like your ultimate boss. But it's pretty cool. But he said that you can end up retiring as, like, a lieutenant commander doing the reserve officer program. So I was like, sign me up. (laughs) You know how that works, too. If you end up making the lieutenant commander in 20 years of time, Mm -hmm. you'll end up retiring with a pension of roughly 4000 a month. Yeah. So that's on top of any civilian job you pick up afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I'd also like to touch on... I've noticed that, uh, at least when OS3 was on the boat, uh, she was doing college courses. Yeah. So she signed up for college courses. It's pretty easy to do that with your schedule of one day on, two days yes, off. Yes, it is. You can I'm, use tuition assistance and mm-hmm. take advantage of that. Yeah, I'm in my master's program right now. So I'm getting my master's in legal studies. Um, my bachelor's is in criminal justice, so I kind of just followed along that path. But it's really easy. Um, the only advice I'd give is, like, don't bank on your watch being able to get all your work done because you don't know like I walked into a Sunday night watch and I'm thinking you know most Sunday nights it's not all that busy like everyone's gone there it's not the weekend anymore everyone's get home trying to get ready for the week Mm -hmm. nope I think I worked seven cases throughout the course I was working all 12 hours just working different cases one after another after another and I was like, wow, (laughs) like that was totally unexpected. So I see some people bank on the 12 hours to get a lot of schoolwork done. And it's great because you can log in on the Coast Guard computer to like academic websites and they allow you to do that. So, you know, it is nice to use your downtime because if there's no case going on, like you're sitting there and you're just actively listening to the radio, you know, and you're waiting for a case to happen. So you do have a lot of time to to study and stuff. And even with the two days off, though, you know, I am home for two days in a row and that's plenty of time to get the homework for the week done or whatever. So. So you get a weekend every day you work. 
<laughs> pretty much. I work 12 yeah. hours and then I get a weekend. It's pretty, pretty cool. Not the worst rotation. No. <laughs> I mean, it can... like the job. It gets the worst it can get up to. I mean, it can get real bad. Like, if you don't have people that are qualified, like, it's bad. But even the break-in rotation is two days on, two days off. But you get to go home in between those two days. Like, you work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you get home, eat dinner, shower, go to sleep, and then you're just back at work the next day at 6 a.m. You know, it's it's not like you're staying there overnight. I personally stay there a lot overnight because my unit is very far. You know, I live out in Rhode Island and it's all the way in Cape Cod, but I have the ability to do that because of the work schedule. If I was working every single day, I probably would not live out here. But the cost of living in Massachusetts, especially in the Cape, is... Mm-hmm insane so yeah i used to live in saving Falmouth, so oh goodness I, I know exactly what you're talking about that main yeah. street's really nice down there it is I actually know down there the village green yeah i went to the pickle jar the other day it's mm-hmm. like a sandwich shop yeah, the pickle jar they had the white hen out there so. yep there's a whole bunch of like well there's a really nice arcade too somewhere on that main street oh yeah That's i think i've passed it one time we walked down there a lot like if because i stay there so then i have 12 hours to kind of like right know, they got the dining movie theater there too <laughs> oh really yeah really cool places down there they serve cool. you your food while you watch a movie <laughs> and they have like nice tables so Heck yeah it's a good area to be stationed oh it is it's it is beautiful. cape cod's very expensive yeah uh i just i, I love cape cod <laughs> i mean i grew up there so. yeah it is beautiful for sure uh i would recommend also though with uh like you're saying with your commutes to anyone that's listening to this is that, you know, you got to decide for yourself that sacrifice, whether that commute is worth it based on where you live. And a lot of times it is worth the commute. Yeah. Cost of living, as you're saying, Western Rhode Island's a lot cheaper. Oh, yes. I'm saving a ton of money. Cape Cod. (laughs) Yeah. With your BAH that you get. Yeah. It probably makes up more so for the gas difference and stuff. It makes, yeah. I mean, even with the price of gas, I also have a great car that gets 40 miles to the gallon. So I'm. Hybrids? (laughs) No, it's not a hybrid. It's a regular Volkswagen Jetta. Wow. Yeah. Good mileage. So, yeah, it's, it's worth it. But it's also something you can't really complain about because you choose to live there. You know, I found myself in the beginning on my break in schedule, maybe complaining about the fact that I wasn't getting home until 7:30 at night, but I'm like, I chose to live here. So I kind of have to like suck it up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's fine. Even with the break in schedule, it wasn't all that bad. And they have, you know, they have little, um, like a little female birthing area. So I just bring my sleeping bag and my and my pillow and I kind of sleep there if I have a double night watch because I find it's way more difficult to drive home in the morning go to sleep and then drive back in the afternoon because the traffic in the summertime is so bad that I have to leave so early so I don't get enough sleep if I come home in between those watches yeah that bridge is ridiculous out there too. yeah but I found the sweet spot I found the perfect time to leave my house where I just miss all the traffic going over the bridge (laughs) so Really? Yeah. What time I, is that? 3.15. If I leave at 3.15, I will make it there at about 4.45 or 5. If I leave any time after 3.30, for some reason, I think it's the time that everyone gets out of work and stuff. Like, it backs up so bad, and I won't even get into work until, like, 5.45, 6. So. No, that's good to know, though, future residents, because yes. I get stationed in Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. I just stay at my friend's house out there, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so to wrap it up, would you give any advice for prospective OSs? So someone's thinking about doing it, they hear there's a nice bonus involved, and they're not sure, they know they want to join the Coast Guard, but they don't know how long they want to stay in it, uh, they're thinking about a couple different rates, what's something they can do to know for certain that they are making the right decision going OS for them? I would say to talk to someone that does the job because when I was a nonary and I was looking at all these different A schools all I would hear is don't do this job don't do that job oh you don't want to do that job all from people who didn't actually do the job or know what the job was except bosun mates right (laughs) (laughs) bosun mates saying don't go bm (laughs) yeah so I think that a great thing is to go be a nonary I don't fully believe in the boot to a system because i think that that's a huge reason why our retention is so low and 
as a non-rate, you have the opportunity, you're in the Coast Guard, you have the opportunity to go shadow people, you know, like, our, our fellow non-rate, he went uh, TDY to go see what the MSTs do in, um, in Long Island, um, and then, you know, now he's an MST, and at least he knows exactly what he's doing. You know what you're getting into. They right. let me take off for a week from work to exactly. be able to do that as well. So, so when you're a non-rate, you really do, and you have to be self-starter about it. You know, you kind of have to go to your, your supervisors and be like, this is a job I'm thinking of. Like, would it be able to go to this specific unit? Like, make the phone calls yourself, kind of. But, you know, that's the best way to see if that job is for you. And listen, like, it might not be the 40000 or $20,000, but for the most part, a lot of the critical rates are still giving 15000 if you're already enlisted in the Coast Guard. Um, so if you don't have anyone that you know that's in the Coast Guard, you know, but you know you want to join, but you just don't know what job you want to do, I would say just go be a non-rate and you can go you can you just learn so much and mm-hmm. you, you truly learn how the coast guard works and that also sets you up well for becoming a third class you know um but yeah i think os is a great rate but it's definitely not for everyone like you kind of need tough skin like you i didn't realize how much death i was going to deal with i've lost a couple people this summer on cases i've worked on and even though you're not out there on the small boat maybe seeing the actual person you know struggling or or dying um it's still really hard to maybe you're the last person that they talk to on the radio you know like your voice is the last voice they heard Mm -hmm. so that's a lot it weighs a lot on you so i would say um you know if people think that that might be too much for them to handle then os probably isn't the right rate to go but yeah, it's it's great though. <laughs> well, it's funny because I've heard every single person that's been on here say when they have the opportunity because we've had EMs on here, they mm-hmm. say don't go boot to A. Everyone's saying that, and yeah. you know it's a big program that recruitment is offering. But even I just recently did an episode with the recruiters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were even saying that you know maybe boot to A isn't for everyone. You might want to consider being a non-rate for yeah. that time. Because it really is a fundamental set. It's almost like learning to play basketball without knowing the fundamentals of dribbling and passing. Right. Or even having watched a game before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like people Just don't know. Just being thrown onto a team and expected to score right. 20 points a night. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I'd say, too, is if you do have, like, a local unit. Like, I grew up somewhere where I didn't grow up near the coast, so I didn't have units that were very close to where I was. But if you live near like a small boat station or a sector, maybe it never hurts to go and ask if you can maybe take a tour and ask some questions. I know someone um, wanted to come take a tour because he was enlisting and he was about to go to boot camp in a month. And a lot of units, it depends where you are, but a lot of units are very open to kind of giving you tours and you can ask your questions to like what they're doing. Like, oh, like, what do you do as a BM or as an MK and, you know. A lot of us that enjoy being in the Coast Guard love to talk about it, so it, it mm-hmm. never hurts to maybe, you know, politely ask um, a unit if you can take a tour. Yeah, for certain. <clears throat> I mean, especially, there's so much variety to within the range. You said cutter to sector is so different within OS. That yeah. That's what I try to stress to everyone is your Coast Guard journey, if you're listening to this right now and you think about joining, is going to be like no one else's before you or after you. Absolutely. Because there's a unique path for every single person that walks it on that journey. Yeah. Besides the fact of big bonuses and a weekend everyday work, make sure you like the job if you're going into it. Yeah. I think that's the other thing too is the money isn't always worth it. Like... The money will come, you know, you're signing up for the Coast Guard, you know you're going to have a steady paycheck. Yeah, you might not get a lump sum of money to, you know, buy a new truck or whatever, but over time you're going to, if you actually do the math, the bonuses aren't giving you that much Mm-mm. because it's only if you even go down just paycheck to paycheck, like if you were to get that money over the next four or six years, because some rates will require a six-year contract to take the bonus, <clears throat> Or I think maybe that's like the boot camp bonus now. But um, if you actually do the math, like you might only be making an extra like 80 bucks a paycheck over the next like, you know, whatever, four years, which, yeah, it's it's a lot over time. But is 
$80 a paycheck really worth it for a job you don't know if you want to do? In my opinion, no. You because know. there's a whole quality of life aspect yeah. that, you know, beats any. Mm-hmm. That's like the peak. It so is. You want to live somewhere nice, enjoy what you're doing on a daily basis. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Please, if you have the opportunity, shadow. Yes. <laughs> Be the shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, Seaman Daravel. Or the, you're not Seaman. It's all right. OS3 no Daravel. <laughs> thank Sorry. you for having me. I know me. you as Seaman. I know. Uh, I call myself, uh, they were calling me OS3 when I showed up. And like as a joke, we all call each other by our first names, by the way. In the command center, no one says like titles and stuff. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, unless it's like a chief, you say like chief or an officer, but you know, even up to the first classes, you just call each other by your names. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it's different. That's, that's, but they would call me that OS3 like when I showed up because I wouldn't answer because I was so used to hearing Seaman Deerville. So, even when you said it, I didn't even think that it was wrong. Because oh, yeah. I'm just, it's like ingrained in my brain. <laughs> this is what happens when you know you're an honorary for over a year. Yeah. Here I am, still here. I know. <laughs> but, it's all right. You'll make it. I mean, It'll be great. You were an honorary longer than I have been, so yeah. But it's all worth it. Time. I had some horrible days as an honorary and some fun days, and I have some of the best memories in the Coast Guard from my non-rate days for sure. But <laughs> this unit, being a like going to A school and ranking up is like you feel so proud of yourself, like because of how long you spent doing non-rate stuff. And you feel the sense. weight of that responsibility a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So Rather it'll be worth graduating it. Graduating boot camp and just getting another growth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That would make me so mad. Like, they didn't understand, like, how much of a privilege it was to be able to just go straight and get ranked up right away. And I was, like, almost in tears getting my crows pinned on my uniform by my class advisors. <laughs> but, yeah. So it was, it's fun. It'll this be worth is, it. It's a long, interesting journey, and we hope that you succeed and do best in what Thank you want to do. And, uh Maybe we'll have you back in the Absolutely. future. Absolutely. I'm always always, always here. like talking about different topics, especially with my former shipmates. Yes. It's there's, super fun. There's a lot of things we could discuss about different times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But for now, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. Uh, and thank you, Darabel, to the nice drinks that we got. Yes, yes. Uh, frappuccinos today. <laughs> but thanks for everyone for tuning in. And we hope to hear you on the next episode. And if you have any topics you want covered or discussed, please feel free to reach out and let me know. I try to hit all your topics as frequently as I get them in. I try to cover them in the order that people want them. So any topics or questions you'd like to discuss about the Coast Guard, please reach out to me. I have Instagram, Coast to Coasties, and feel free to contact me. Thank you, and have a great day.